I'd like to start this morning with a question for you before we jump into our text from 1 Thessalonians. You can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians if you'd like. When Jesus walked on the earth in John chapter 11, he came to a difficult scene where his friend Lazarus has died and his friends Mary and Martha were distraught and everyone was wondering what would have happened had Jesus been able to be on the scene before Lazarus died because Jesus had been going about and had been restoring, or restoring people from their illnesses and their sicknesses. And as Martha comes out and talks to, uh, uh, to Jesus as he's coming to town finally, which note the words in earlier in the chapter when it says that Jesus loved them very much, and so he stayed for a few more days where he was at, and Lazarus passed away. As Martha comes out and talks to him, Jesus says these words as he is reassuring her that she will see Lazarus, her brother, again, and she says, I know I will on the last day when the dead are resurrected. Jesus looks at her and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks her this question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? This morning, before we jump into our text in Thessalonians, I'm asking you that question. Jesus' words echo down. They come out of those pages. They echo down through the ages, and they are asked of you this morning, or they come to you this morning, that he says he is the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in him will never die. I'm sorry, I should say that correctly. Everyone who believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him will never die. And then he asks the question. I'm asking you the question this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Our text, our title this morning for our message is to be ready, and I gave it a subtitle of Understanding Hope. I'm, I'm anticipating the next couple of weeks of text out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and into chapter 5. We'll have the same uh, uh, title in the, in the beginning, the same title of being ready. You remember last week I talked about the fact that as Paul prayed for the Thessalonian believers, he prayed that their love would abound more and more. We addressed love last week. He prayed that they would uh, be established in holiness, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And finally, he said, I'm praying for this, that your love would abound more and more, that you're established in holiness, so that you are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And these couple of texts here now, in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we'll be dealing with today. And in chapter 5, the first uh, 11 verses are going to be dealing with the same topic of being ready. And so we're going to spend time talking about whether we, as a body of Christ, are ready are we ready for Jesus to come back? Are we prepared? Today I gave the subtitle of Understanding Hope because I think that's where Paul is taking those verses. So I hope you have 1 Thessalonians open. I hope you're in chapter 4. I hope you're ready to follow along in verse 13. And the question I ask of whether we believe of Jesus being the resurrection and the life have everything to do with being ready to understand the hope we have in Jesus, the real hope we have in Jesus, and to really, really be ready when he comes back. Read now with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul wrote these words to them, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. I would say that this morning to you, brothers and sisters here in this church building on this day in 2023. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he ends us. Therefore, we're going to end this, at least today here, encourage one another with these words. God, I pray this morning that we might truly find encouragement from these words. You inspired Paul to write them. They were received by a group of believers way back when they were written, and they've been received by groups of believers ever since that day. And this morning, we count ourselves privileged, God, to sit here and receive these words, inspired by your Holy Spirit for us this morning. May they be an encouragement to us. May they lift us up and build us up. May they help us to understand their true hope. And maybe we already know that, but just be reinforced with the true hope that we have in Jesus Christ, what you've done through Jesus Christ, so that we are ready for his return. Teach us this morning, I pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to walk through once again. If you're familiar with being here at church, you know that typically on the backside of your bulletin, there's a handout or there's a, uh, some notes uh, some, uh, I have all the references, at least that I know. I'm, I'm prepared to, to share. Some I'm going to be appearing on the screen. Some I won't be. I'll be reading. Some I won't. Re- I'll just refer to you. If you want to take notes, you can follow along. If that doesn't help you, then you just listen. However, you can best pay attention to what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. I have really two big points. Really, there's just one main thing we're going to build everything off of, and then coming back to that final verse at the end. But here it is. Paul says, I want you to be ready for the return of Christ, and to be ready for him, I want you not to grieve as others do who have no hope, especially regarding those who have fallen asleep. Now, when he uses that phrase, fallen asleep, we all know what he means, right? He means people who've died, people who have left this life, and um, Obviously, it goes without saying, the most blatantly obvious statement I'm going to make this morning is that every one of us knows people who have died already, who have gone on, who are no longer here with us. So he says, I want you to know. I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know what, what, the, what we should believe and to be ready for the return of Christ in a way that understands the hope that we have through Jesus Christ, especially as it relates to those who have passed on. Now, some people say that the Thessalonian believers had some kind of question, that there was some kind of worry that, they, uh, that the people had died were some kind of how we're going to miss, that if you weren't alive when Jesus returned, then you had missed out on what God was doing through Jesus. Some people say that's Paul was writing to correct that. Some people say Paul was just, uh, was just saying, uh, teaching them, was just bringing things to them. I don't know necessarily, there's no indication that I could find necessarily that it goes one or the other. In any case, Paul is just being true to the words that he has prayed for them. I'll read them for you again. I pray that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts. Remember, the overarching theme of this letter is that we are established in our faith. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be able to endure until the end. And let me, uh, in this text this morning, let me flesh out the hope that you have in Jesus Christ so that you can be ready to endure until the end. Now, he's going to address what does happen to those who fall asleep. I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. And what follows is him laying out the reasons or the arguments, if you want to have it that way, the reasons why we do not grieve as people who do not have hope. 
So when we are believers in Jesus Christ, when we are, have found ourselves in Jesus, when we've surrendered to Jesus, when we are, uh, we are covered by his blood, then when someone dies, the scripture refers to this elsewhere too, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And Paul is just going to solidify what that hope is this morning. He begins this in verse 14. He says, for since we believe, now I just put the first part of that phrase because I want you to see the structure that Paul has. We're going to have three statements that begin with the word for in English, at least in the ESV translation. Verse 14, verse 15, and then verse 16 and 17 go together. All three of them end or start with the same way. They don't end. They start with the same way. For something. And in this case, I gave you the Greek word. I'll tell you why in a little bit. The word for is the word gar, which just simply means that. He's answering a reason. He's giving, he's giving a because. He says, we don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope because we believe. Because since we believe. Well, what do we believe? I'll just put the verse up there because it's foundational. It's, it's, what, it's what matters to us. It's what's the undergirding of the hope that you and I have. If you want to have any hope at all when Jesus returns, it's pinned upon this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. It begins right there. It can end right there for a bit because we want to make sure that that's the foundation of our hope. That's the sentence right there. That's the gospel right there. That's the good news that you and I have been given to give us a hope to prepare us for when Jesus is going to come back someday. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. I would tell you that uh, throughout, the, throughout the ages, there have been people who have been deeply in love with God and have studied and have studied and have poured out pages and pages of, of good scriptural writing and many times would come back to this central theme and say, oh, brothers and sisters, we would do well to spend days and months and years and return to this theme over and over again and just let that phrase by itself sink in and take root in our hearts and our souls. We believe that Jesus died. See, you can stop even there. Why is that good news for you? Do you know why that's good news for you? Do you, do you think about why that's good news for you? Does it relish, does it, does it sit inside of you and become this all-consuming, encompassing thing that is more pervasive than anything else that's out there that's pressing to get in? Is I know, thank the Lord I know that Jesus died. Oh, we don't have time, but we're going to be here tonight for communion, I hope. You can't partake in communion if you don't understand that Jesus died. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. So without the shedding of blood, your sins can't be forgiven. And we all know, as the writer of Hebrews says, we all know that the blood of bulls and goats and calves can't really take away sins, can they? They don't really cover, they don't really atone for your sin. So unless Jesus died and sinless blood was shed for you, there can be no forgiveness for you. Church, do you understand? This is, this is the hope we have. We believe that Jesus died. But that's not the end. Because we believe that he rose again. That's foundational. He didn't stay dead. It wasn't like there had to be a sacrifice that meant that we lost this forever so we could gain this. That Jesus, the Son of God, had to give up his life forever so that you and I could live forever. But he rose again. He came up. We sang those songs this morning. He rose again. Thank the Lord he rose again. And then Paul says we believe, starting with that, 
That's the foundation. That's, we understand that. We've been talking about that. All of Scripture points to that. The whole covenant, the new covenant is based upon that. But he says, then I want you to know that we believe also, even just like that's true, that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, through Jesus, through the channel of Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There's, by the way, room for us to interpret that the, the Greek word there when he says he, that God will bring with him, that's the word ago, which means to lead. So there's room to believe in the interpretation there that says that when Jesus comes, he'll be leading those who have fallen asleep already. Are they going to be coming with him? Death was introduced because of our sinfulness. Paul made this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, when he says, for as by a man came death. What else though? So by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus was clear. Let's just be clear about it this morning, church. We should never take, we should never skip over the opportunities to be clear about what we believe in our theology. We should say it to ourselves. We should say it to each other. Jesus was clear that when he came, he was this man. He was this man. In John, in John chapter 5, it says that Jesus is talking. He says, do not marvel at this, for in an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, listen to what he's talking about, and all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And just a chapter later, he says, this is the will of him who sent me. These are all Jesus, quotes, quotes of Jesus. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. There's that phrase, but raise it up on the last day. Just a couple of verses later, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then what does he say? And I will raise him up on the last day. And just a couple of verses after that, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will what? What will he do? I will raise him up on the last day. Are we convinced this morning that Jesus died, we believe that, and he rose again? And if that's true, then we know that all those who have fallen asleep already will also be raised up on the last day. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. Paul goes on. He says, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to grieve as those who don't have hope. We want you to be ready when Jesus comes, waiting for him knowing that those who've gone on before won't be left behind. I says, he says, I, I can tell you that because we believe Jesus died and rose again. I can tell you that because we declare this. And then he, he's going to add to it. He's going to declare something by the word of the Lord. He says that those who are left, who are alive and left until he comes, what? They will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he says, I want you, first of all, the first reason why was I want you to know that since Jesus died and was resurrected, that all of us will be brought back to life. Doesn't matter when you died. All of us will be brought back to life. Jesus said those words, right? Those who've done good to the resurrection of life, those who've, not, who've done evil to the resurrection of evil. Of, I don't think I quite, I quite, got, quite got that quotation correct. You can look it up, John chapter 5. But he says, not only do I want you to know that we're all going to come back, he says, actually, I want you to know that those who have fallen asleep will actually get there before you, if I can put, that, put it that way. They're going to precede those who are still alive, who are left behind. I also want you to notice that he's putting himself in that camp, right? That Paul fully expected Christ's return to come when he was alive. And look what he says. He says it here, and he says it in the next verse as well, uh, two verses later, I think. We who are alive and left... I think Paul had every expectation that he was still going to be alive when Jesus returned. 
I think every believer that we read about in the New Testament pages had the expectation that they were going to be alive when Jesus returned. And I believe lots of believers who have lived since that time up until today have believed with all they have that they're going to be alive when Jesus returns. And I suggest to you that you and I ought to believe that we're going to be alive when Jesus returns. That it's going to come any day. We who are alive, who are left, let me tell you, don't grieve as those who have no hope because I can tell you that Jesus died and he was rose again, he was resurrected. And if that's true, then, then there'll be resurrection for all people, whether they're, whether, even if they've died already too, they're gonna be resurrected too. First Jesus, the first fruits, and then all those after him. And on top of that, in fact, they're gonna precede us who are left alive. Now, if you saw that I put the word gar with this word for again because he's used the same word twice in a row. But I'm going to move now to verse 16 because here he says, for the Lord himself will descend. But he actually uses a different word for for. He uses the word hoti. And he's letting us know that he's come to the conclusion of why he says, the, 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 the end result of why. He's saying, I'm, going to give you, I'm giving you reasons because of this and because of this. And now here we're going to tie it all together. Here's why I can say what I'm about to say. Here's how it's all going to be tied together. And that's why we get in verse 16 and verse 17. We're just going to step through it and take our time to walk through it. He says, I'm telling you, I'm wrapping it together. Here's how it's going to work. Here's what we should expect. Here's the hope that you and I have. Here's what we are readying ourselves for. The Lord himself, Jesus, will descend. Now that implies that he's there, right? And Paul is, uh, he's clear about his theology. He's clear about reading what those who lived with Jesus themselves said. The eyewitness reports that when Jesus was resurrected, he lived among them. He showed himself to numbers of them. He interacted with them. But then the day came when he arose, right? And he ascended into heaven. And two men, two angels came and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Just as you saw him go, you will see him return. And Paul says, this is why we are ready, want to be ready. This is how we know to be ready. This is how we understand the hope we have is the Lord himself will descend. And when he comes, what, is it, what does it say? It says he'll have a cry of command, a loud cry. It'll be the voice of an archangel, which is another loud cry, and the sound of a trumpet. Now these phrases that Paul is using here are all praise, or phrases, not praises, are all phrases that evoke a picture of coming battle. I want you to, to know these phrases all harken back to different stories. You could take time and go back and read in the Old Testament and you'd find times when they used the cry of command, when they were ready to go into battle, when there was a loud thunder, when, when there was, when there was a, a, a trumpet sound. You could all go all the way back to when God himself showed up on the Mount of Sinai, when the people of Israel were just coming out of Egypt and these things all took place. There was rumblings and peals of thunder and a loud cry. And there was trumpets. And what were they all told to do, by the way? Do you know what they were told to do? They're all supposed to come and rush and meet with God, right? No. They're supposed to say, away. No one dare touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they'll die. God is coming. Notice the parallel here. Paul is laying over this parallel. What you Israelites, if you're Jewish, you know, and you read about what happened back there, is coming again. Friends, we just went through, just before this book, we went through the book of Zephaniah, right? And in that book we read, we understood that when Christ returns, there's going to be battle, right? There's going to be devastation. There's going to be destruction. 
There's a war coming. If you read the book of Revelation at, at all, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you understand that that paints the same picture, that when Jesus comes, it's not quietly in a stable, is it? It's not where no one knows. It's not where the shepherds are the first to find out. What? There's a king that was born? Maybe I shouldn't say the first because I'm, I'm guessing the, 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 the men from the east had already known it. They're at least following a star at that point already. But it won't be quiet and it won't be with the same purpose. Then the angels declared peace on earth. Favor and goodwill upon those who God's favor rests, right? When you read the book of Revelation, what are the angels saying? Do you know? When you read the book of Revelation, what are the angels saying? Maybe you don't know exactly, so you don't wanna say it. They're crying out, whoa, whoa, destruction is coming. Right? When Jesus himself will descend, Paul says there will be the cry of command, there'll be the voice of an archangel, and there'll be the sound of the trumpet of God. They'll, these are all phrases that evoke pictures of coming strife and battle. And then he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this time the word is the word proton. He said precede, and it was a different word. I didn't write it down. I forget what that word is, actually. But here he used the word proton. The dead in Christ will rise first. Again, he's letting you know that they have already, they're going to precede you. You don't need to worry about those who have died. You don't need to be like, oh, they're going to miss the coming of Jesus, or what's going to happen, or is there somehow some, they're going to rise first. Now, again, this word, it depends on how you interpret this or what you say. You could say this word means it's immediately preceding. Or you could say, well, it just means it's happened ahead of time. It's, it, it's chief. It's the order of things. Paul would adopt that approach in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that Jesus was the first fruits. And then comes the next things and all things in their order until the very end. In other words, when he says first, he doesn't, or he doesn't yeah, when he says first, he doesn't mean it like right ahead of time. He just means it's in that order, that this is the order that's coming down. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul says, let me just give you the hope. Let me, let me make sure you understand what's going to happen. He says, then we who are left, we who are alive, same phrase he used before, then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we who are alive, let me just read that again. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know, that word caught up is an interesting word. It's the Greek word harpazo. It's not used all that often, actually, in, in the New Testament. It means to seize something or to pluck or to uh, move or grab something with force. Now, most times when it's used in the New Testament, the implication is the force is a divine force. In other words, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't say that in the New Testament about if I came and grabbed one of you and drug you somewhere or moved you somewhere by, with my force, it wouldn't use that word necessarily because it implies a divine force, not a human force. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He uses the word harpazo. Or in the book of Acts, when we read about Philip, remember Philip is going along the, along the desert way and he meets the Ethiopian and, and excuse me, he's reading from the book of Isaiah and the Ethiopian says, I, I, I believe and there's water there, why don't I get baptized? And after the baptism happened, then what happened? 
in Acts chapter 8 says that when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried, harpazo, carried Philip away, moved him. Or if you're reading the book of Revelation, John says, I saw this sign in the, in the heavens and I saw a woman and she was in labor pains about to give birth. And he's talking about Satan, the great dragon who was, who was pursuing the woman. And in Revelation 12, 5, it says that the woman gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God. Now again, not going into, I mean, this, the, the reason I share those verses are not to make a commentary on any of those verses about what that might mean necessarily, but to simply illustrate that those are just about all the other instances in the, in the New Testament where the word harpazo is used. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air. Now again, depending on how you read that sentence, depends on how you think, uh, what you think is going to happen. And people make all kinds of, I was going to say people make livings off of this, but people make all kinds of have all kinds of sometimes even contentious arguments about what these kinds of things means, which I think is completely out of line with what Paul is intending with these verses. Depending on how you read this, you could say that we are caught up together with them, indicating we are caught up together with those who have died, so they're going to come out of the grave when we come out of the grave and meet Jesus. Again, using the word ago that I had pointed out earlier in verse 14, you could also read that that says we're caught up together with them in the clouds, meaning that Jesus and those who have gone on before us are in the cloud. He, they're coming back with him, and we're caught up with them there. Now, let me just share a couple of things that I think we should keep in mind as we, as we establish what we have as our theology, as our, especially, I don't know if you know what I mean by this word, eschatology, our belief in what will happen at the end. By the way, little aside, I don't know if you like this about me or if you don't like this about me, but you may notice that I don't spend a lot of time talking about eschatology and what, how things will happen in the end times. Some of you, I think that frustrates, and some of you are probably happy I don't. I don't know. And I want to do my best to be honest with the Lord. When he asks me to talk about it, I will. I don't feel a lot of impetus most times because I tend to teach what's here, and that's what's going to happen this morning. I teach as well as I can what's in here. I think we get caught up lots of times in how it's going to work. And in fact, I think we sometimes get a little sidetracked and get a little, little bent out of shape when people don't see it the same way we do. You know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I actually don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I would actually be bold enough to suggest that most of you don't either. You may not like me when I say that, but I don't think you probably do. One thing I'm convinced of is I'm convinced that the people who studied this in and out before Jesus' first coming missed it. Those who were the religious leaders and knew the scriptures better than anyone else and knew and were expecting a Messiah to come missed Jesus when he came. For that reason, I think we ought to be very careful to think we have it all figured out. It is in this text that most people come up with the concept of the rapture because of the word caught up I was just spending time with. I'd like to just help frame this morning for us. Again, I'm probably going to frustrate you because I'm not going to tell you how, I mean, I'm not going to say this is how I think it's going to all work out. And other than what Paul has said here, I think he makes it clear that the dead in Christ will be resurrected, will be there before us, long time before us or just before us, I don't know. I think we're going to meet Jesus in the air when he returns, because that's what it says. Now, when you read what Paul wrote to the Colossians, 
He wrote these words. Let me read them for you. Colossians chapter 3. If I can flip there fast enough. Colossians chapter 3, in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, he's writing to people who are still alive, right? So when he says you have died, he doesn't mean physically, correct? He's not saying to that people, who, he's not out in the cemetery preaching to people who have actually died, right? He's, he's talking to people who are alive. So when he says you have died, then who's he talking to? He's talking to people who have died to themselves, right? Who have died to their flesh. And he says, when you, because you, ha, you have died, it's done deal. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where's Christ at right now? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. So if you have follow, are a follower of Jesus, Paul would say, I, I, I'm forced to conclude from Paul's words here, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you died to yourself, then there's part of you already alive with Jesus there. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's the same word as he's talking about here, by the way, his parousia, when he's revealed. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I'm, we have to conclude that in some level, Paul believed that when we become believers, there's already part of us. We've died to ourselves. We've already been resurrected in some degree. There's a part of us that's hidden with Christ already. Furthermore, when Paul wrote to the second Corinthians, well, that didn't come out right because there were no second Corinthians. It wasn't like there was two Corinths. When he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians, see, it's good for you to stay awake and make sure that I, that I don't uh, slip in things that, that just come out wrong. In his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 5, Paul says this. We are, in verse 6, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, so physically here, we are away from the Lord. So he also believes we're not quite there yet, right? We're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. From here, I would conclude that though Paul says part of you is already with Jesus, part of you is not, because you're still physically alive here. But I would also conclude that he says, I would rather be away from here and with the Lord, meaning I would, would, would take that as he's saying, when I'm no longer here, when I do physically die here, then I go to be with Jesus. Now, again, I'm not building theology uh, necessarily out of th those cases. I want us to consider this as we think about and frame Paul's words to the first Thessalonians, uh, in the first Thessalonian letter here. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. We want you to be ready when Jesus returns and understanding that those who've gone on before, whether you think they're there now already or whether you think it's going to happen right before, at the very least, I think we can safely say he's referring to a bodily resurrection there in these verses, a bodily resurrection they're physical bodies that when Christ returns, we will go join them and they will be resurrected. At the very least, we can agree on that, I think. All that to say, I don't think that that's Paul's intent with here, with these words and saying, I don't want you being uninformed. I don't think his intent is that you now figure out exactly the order of things that when, what's going to happen when Christ returns. Because I think what he's really driving at is this last golden phrase. This is the conclusion we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, we believe that there's going to be resurrection. We furthermore, from a word from the Lord, believe that the people who have already died are going to get there first. They're, they're, they're going to precede us. And this is why we say this, because this is how it's, this is our conclusion. It's going, to, it's going to be wrapped together this way. Jesus will ascend as the conquering hero. And those who are dead will either already be there or will rise first however you want to say that, and then we who are left alive will be caught up together and will meet him 
in the air, and here's what he's driving towards. Here's our hope that we, all, that we really have. This is really what we're looking for. This is really what we're coming down to. So we will always be with the Lord. I think it would be helpful for us perhaps today to look at this text and say, there may have been two things the Thessalonians were wondering. What's happened to those people that have already died? My family, my friends, those I love, they've died. Separation is hard. What's happened to those people? Am I gonna see them again? How, how, what's gonna go, what's, what, how is that gonna work? And am I truly gonna expect to believe to be with Jesus for all of eternity? And Paul is interested in answering those two questions. He says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to take heart. You will be reunited with those that you love if they were in Christ and you were in Christ. You will be reunited with them when Christ returns. And even better, then we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with Jesus. Nothing will separate us anymore. Again, read Revelation, and that comes through so clear in the last couple of chapters. God says, I'm going to come and make my dwelling place among you. I'll be your father. You will be my children. There'll be no more death, no more tears, no more heartache, no more sin. Everything has been put under Jesus' feet, the last of which is the enemy, the great enemy itself, which is death itself. Therefore, brothers and sisters, encourage one another with these words. Remind each other, hey, we who are in Christ, we will be reunited when Christ returns. And then we're all gonna be with Jesus. Hang tough, persist, stay in there, stay faithful, stay true, be ready. Understand the hope that you've been given. You will see your loved ones again and you will be with Jesus for all of eternity. Now, remember the question I asked you at the beginning this morning? When Jesus says this phrase, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I've taught from this verse many times, and you can, you can pull different things out, and you can, you can phrase it and emphasize different things and teach different things. But it struck me as I read this verse this week in the context of the message I was studying for this morning, it struck me that if you, can, if you just take Jesus' words literally, he could be describing his coming. Remember, I took you, all the other references I gave you that of John, of, of, were in John of him saying, I'm going to raise him up on the last day. All those references were all from John. This is in John. When Jesus, if he's simply referring, because notice what Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That sets the context. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now listen to what he says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It could be as simple and as straightforward as saying, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to die still physically. If you die, you're going to live again. Be reassured. And then he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, if you're living and believing in him, if you just separate those phrases and just treat them just literally, if you're living on the last day, if you're still living and you believe in him, you'll never die. Because isn't that true? If we who are left alive, who are left here still when Jesus returns, will never experience death, actually. Not physically. Everyone who lives 
and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, it's the same question that Paul is answering to the Thessalonians. Do you believe that those who were in Christ when they died, you will see them again? They'll be resurrected. They're going to live again. And do you believe that if you are, happen to be alive still when Jesus returns and you believe in him, that you'll never die because he's the resurrection? Do you believe that? I'm going to make a rather abrupt transition. That's my little forewarning, rather abrupt transition. I love when God arranges things uh, beyond our, like, planning. So I think it was earlier in the year, Josh, I don't know, was it February or was it January? Was this January, I think Josh was supposed to have special music, and it didn't work out. I think they were sick, and I don't know what happened. Didn't work out. We said, oh, we're going to do it sometime. Didn't work out. Kind of forgot about it, quite frankly. But a couple of weeks ago, we were together, our care group was together, and we just had a good evening of praying together and singing together. It's a really special night. There's a couple of difficult things happening with people in our care group, uh, Josh and Heidi in our care group, and Ernie and Ruby, who are, by the way, down in Mexico this morning, um, are in our care group. And so just with some difficult things. And, and Josh picked up his guitar and he said, this was the song I was going to sing for special music. And he sang the song, and I, of course, know I have some idea of what we're going to be preaching out of because I'm reading the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians repeatedly as we go through this. And I looked at him and I said, Josh, would you be willing to just sing that on the Sunday morning that I preach out of this text? And thankfully, he said yes. So, Josh, why don't you come up here? And uh, we're going to have special music today. This is not, it's kind of out of the ordinary. I don't think anyone knew it was necessarily coming other than these guys. Would you come up and just do special music? And I'll come back up and close at the end. This world is not my home. Oh, this world is not my home. My home's been made at heaven's throne. This world is not my home. This life is not my own. Oh, this life is not my home. My I am His and His alone. This life is not my own. For I was born when love slain what I cost to pay death's wage now ransom I am freedom's slave my Jesus raised me from the Now, 
and walk with me. Oh, come now and walk with me. Together we, our Lord, shall meet. Come now and walk with me. For I was bought when love was slain. What high cost to pay death's wage. Now ransom I am freedom's slave. My Jesus raised me from the grave. For I was bought when love was slain. What high cost to pay death's wage. Now ransomed I am freedom's slave. My Jesus raised me from the grave. And soon, Lord, and very soon, oh, soon, Lord, and very soon, you'll come take me to be with you. please. Would you read through this with me? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Father, I pray that you might find a bride prepared here in this place. Pray this morning, Father, that we might truly grasp the hope we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of resurrection, the hope of our sins paid for, of us when we lay our lives down, when we die to ourselves, when we say this world is not our home, we're not living for here, we're not trying to put things together, we're not, we're not trying to hang on to stuff here, we're letting go. Because our world, our home is with you in glory. That when we do that, that you have secured us in our hope this morning. That we, though we may die, we will live. That there's life on the other side of death. I pray that we this morning might, each one of us have walked through our own door of death already in the spiritual realm. We've said no to our flesh. We've crucified it. We've said, oh, I laid on the altar 
All for you, Jesus, for you laid everything down for me. That I understand, that we understand, that it is by your grace that we are saved, not through our works so that none of us may boast. You've done it all, Jesus, and we come to you. Have me, use me, shape me, mold me. Give us, give us the will to, to be like yours, a will that is like yours, that lays itself down and says, you've prepared a body for me, Father. Here I am to do your will, not mine. And then, God, may the, 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 the truth, the reality of the hope that we have, may it prepare in us the reality that, oh, those that we miss so dearly that have gone on before, we will see them again, but that we will be with you, Jesus, for eternity, our Savior. Matchless is your name. Majestic you are. High and lifted up. Great in glory. Worthy of all praise. Worthy of all praise. Thank you for your word, and thank you that you will establish us in holiness, our hearts in holiness. You will help us to walk faithfully and to love one another and to be ready when Christ returns. Oh, we, we long to be with you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.